All right, well, it is the, the new year, or just on the cusp of it, so uh, happy New Year's Eve to you. Uh, I'm sure if you're like me, you've been thinking about what the new year is likely to bring, maybe even making some plans, uh, trying to prepare for some things in the new year. I don't know if you guys are preparers, but uh, you know the classic Boy Scout motto is be prepared, right? And everybody, everybody wants to be prepared. Nobody wants to be unprepared, right? That's kind of everybody's nightmare to show up and be unprepared for something. So, so we all want to be prepared. And as we think of the new year, maybe you started making some preparations for the new year. So maybe you're, you're already looking at your uh, air conditioner and you're thinking, I don't think it's got another year in it. So maybe you're already setting, setting aside some money for a new air conditioner. Or maybe you start looking at the new year and you think, I think we're going to get some snow this year. So maybe I need to put a little uh, food aside. Maybe I need to get the sleds down out of the attic for the kids. Maybe I need to get a new snow shovel or snow blower if you're really lucky. Um, maybe I even need to get some fuel for a generator if, if you're somebody who's that well prepared. And so, so there's a lot of things you can do to prepare. Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard to prepare, but the basic steps of preparation are generally the same. You, you kind of think of what might happen. So you evaluate the risks, right? And you, you make a plan and you gather resources. Um, you practice whatever it is you're supposed to do so that you're ready to act when the moment of crisis comes. And then you follow through when it happens, right? You do it all when it happens. So those are the steps of preparation, right? But it can be, it can be very difficult to do that for unexpected events, for an unexpected crisis, it can be very hard to plan and prepare for. And so today we're going to be studying a king, and this is a king who, who liked to be prepared. He was great at preparing for things, and we're going to see how this king prepared for what he knew, but also how he prepared for the unexpected, and what did he do when the unexpected happened. So today, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 30. We'll be studying King Jehoshaphat. And so as you start turning 2 Chronicles 20, it sounds like you're already there. I didn't hear any pages turning, so you're already there. But as, as you've gotten there, let me introduce you a little bit to King Jehoshaphat. And uh, King he, Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. And so this means this was after the, the, the Israelite kingdom split. So there's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah there in Jerusalem. And he liked to be prepared. And so the story, his story comes through 17, through chapter 17, through chapters 19. And some of the things that happened there, they talk about how he prepared. And so he was prepared militarily, politically economically. So he placed troops in fortified cities all throughout Judah, and he built up a, a well-trained army. Chapter 17 counts up over 1 million soldiers in Jehoshaphat's army, and that was not even counting the ones who were stationed in these fortified cities. So he had a million a freestanding army. Uh, surrounding nations had respect for him. They brought tributes, and then he, brought up, he built fortresses and storehouses, and he stored up resources of food and of wealth and of supplies. And so he was, he was a good leader. He liked to prepare militarily, politically, uh, and, and, and all those things. But he also was a good leader and administrator. So if you look, you, chapter 19 tells of how he placed judges throughout all of the cities of Judah. And he instructed the judges in how to judge how to judge in the fear of the Lord. And he made them accountable to the priesthood and so that they couldn't just do whatever they wanted to do, but there was accountability there. So he was a good leader. He was good administratively. But one key preparation for Jehoshaphat 
was that he was an obedient and devoted follower of God. So back in chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, it says this. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. So you see here that Jehoshaphat was personally devoted to God. He walked in the ways of God. He sought after God and he studied his commandments and tried to walk in his way. So that was a key part of his preparation. And not only was he personally devoted to God, uh, but the chapter goes on to talk about how he led Judah to worship God. And so Jehoshaphat removed the high places. He took down the ashram. He took down the false idols that they were worshiping. And he said, instead, he sent out the Levites and the priests and, and some of the administrators to go from town to town, the city to city, and teach the law of the Lord to the, the people of Judah. And so he sent people out to teach the law of the Lord. And so he put a lot of things into place to prepare for all sorts of eventualities. But the key thing is that he was devoted to God and led his people to be devoted to God. And so that's, that's what all has happened in chapter 17 through 19. And so now, now as we're coming into chapter 20, we're going to look at an unexpected crisis that Jehoshaphat couldn't have known was coming and see how his preparations lead into that. Verses 1 through 2, chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So three large nations are coming to attack. You have Moab, which is uh, just east of the Dead Sea, a large nation east of the Dead Sea. And then you have Ammon, which is northeast of the Dead Sea, so they're above them. And then you have the Mennonites, Mount Seir, uh, more generally kind of says from Edom. They're coming from Edom, and these are peoples who were to the southeast or even south of Judah. And so all these nations are, are around the other edge of the Dead Sea. Of course, Judah is on the west side of the Dead Sea. So, so three large nations there who have combined their armies and are coming into Judah uh, to attack Jehoshaphat. In fact, these three nations are nations they would know. These are the nations that the Israelites passed through or passed by as they were coming into the Promised Land to invade the Promised Land. They were the descendants of, the descendants of Esau. And they were the descendants of Lot. And so these are distant family cousins of the Israelites. And God had instructed Israel as they came into the promised land to not invade these countries, but instead to bypass them and to go into the promised land. So they had left them behind. But now these three countries have combined their armies and they have moved into Judah and they have gotten almost halfway to Jerusalem. They've come all the way up the coast of the Dead Sea and they're here in Gedi. And so these people come to Jehoshaphat and they say, these armies, a great multitude, in fact, later in the text, it calls it a horde, a huge army has come from these three nations, and they're halfway here, and they're coming for you. So the text makes clear that this was uh, a big threat to Jehoshaphat. A massive army is there. They're coming for you, and they're nearly here. So if you were King, uh, King Jehoshaphat, and you had all the resources we talked about, what would be your reaction to this coming army. If you were King Jehoshaphat and you had um, the wealth and the supplies and the fortified cities and the well-trained army, uh, what would be your immediate response? Here's some options. Maybe muster the army and launch a surprise attack. Let's attack them before they get here. 
Maybe you'd start planning military tactics. It seems like a sound plan. Maybe you'd send messengers to some of the other kingdoms, maybe some of your alliances, and see if you, they would come help you in this battle. Maybe you would attempt to bribe some of the attacking kings and see if you can offer them a tribute or offer them some sort of a bribe to, to call off the attack. Maybe you prepare for a siege of Jerusalem thinking you have all the supplies you need that you can withstand the attack. These aren't off-the-wall off the ideas. In fact, these are all ideas that some of the kings around uh, Jehoshaphat had done. The prior kings, the kings that came later, the kings of Israel often would bribe other kingdoms or, or bring in alliances to defeat things that were in, uh, kingdoms that were in, invading them. So what was Jehoshaphat's response? Which one of these did he choose? Look at verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid... And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, with all of his wealth, power, supplies, fortifications, and armies, when the crisis was there, when he was afraid, he immediately turned to God. In the Hebrew, those two words are right at the beginning of the sentence. So there's, there's two words right there. The first one, uh, the first word means he feared. The second word means he turned. He feared and he turned, linked right there together. It was an immediate instinctual reaction. He feared and he turned to God. Where did Jehoshaphat develop this instinct? He developed it in the daily practice devotion to God. You remember what we learned in chapter 17, what we learned earlier, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but he sought the God of his father. He walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. For years, Jehoshaphat had been seeking God. He had been practicing this devotion to God over and over again as he was the king. He trusted him. He sought him. He obeyed him. He worshiped him, worshiped him day in and day out. He practiced devotion to God. He practiced trusting God. And so that when the moment came, his instinct turned him to trust God. The most important decisions that you'll ever make are made in a moment, but practiced for years. Jehoshaphat had practiced trusting God for years in the daily struggles of being king, and his instincts now turned him to turn to God. And he had prepared his people to turn to God as well. From the beginning of his reign, he had eliminated the Asherah, he'd sent out teachers to teach the people the law of God. He had worked to prepare the people of Judah to know God and to trust God and to turn to God. So now as he calls on them to fast, as he calls on them to join him in prayer, they respond. They come from all the different cities of Judah. They come to Jerusalem. They didn't come to prepare for war, but they came to seek God. Verse 4 says, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek God. The Lord. Jehoshaphat's instinctual response, the practiced response, was to seek God. You know, pilots are trained uh, to react 
in high-stress situations to react to a crisis. They train over and over again in what to do if, if certain things fail on their, in their planes. So if they, if they were to stall out, if they were to lose an engine, if the landing gear wasn't going to work, they have checklists that they practice going through. They have system checks that they practice going through. All the different processes, they train over and over again. They even practice the situation. So they'll stall the plane out and practice what to do when it happens. And so that when they get in the moment of crisis, when it happens and they're not expecting it, they don't have to stop and think about what to do next. They have trained over and over again to where they have an instinctual response to turn to their checklist, to turn to their systems, and they know what to do step by step in the moment of crisis. So let me ask you, what is your instinctual response in the moment of crisis? What is your first reaction when you, when you face an unexpected crisis? Turning to and relying on God is a practiced habit. So what have you practiced when crisis comes? We practice turning to and relying on God in daily prayer as we turn our struggles over to him, as we trust him to respond. We practice turning to and relying on God as we daily study and obey his word rather than living according to our own desires. And so we are practicing one way of reacting or another. Are we practicing turning our lives over to God every day? Or are we practicing relying on our own strengths, our own wisdom, our own plans? Jehoshaphat had practiced relying on God. He instinctually turned to rely on God. When you face the daily struggles of life, is prayer and listening to God your first reaction? Or is it your last resort? In 2024, I encourage you to make it a daily practice to turn your struggles over to God in prayer daily committing yourself to live for him. We see that here for Jehoshaphat, it was automatic. He heard, he was afraid, he turned to God. It was his first and last stop. And when he called out the nation of Judah, they responded the same way. This wasn't the first they'd heard from Jehoshaphat about turning to God. They came, they responded, they turned to God, they sought his face. As Jehoshaphat now prays with all the Judah there, you can see that he knew why he could trust God with this. Let's look at verses 5 through 12 for his prayer. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Earlier this month, Stephanie and I were uh, looking for a, a used car for Claire. 
And so we were test driving a car, and we were out and about. And I told Stephanie, I was like, go ahead and just pull over here in this parking lot. And, 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 and she did, and we were looking at the car. I said, okay, go, go ahead and pop the hood. And so she popped the hood, and we opened it up, and the engine was there. And I was looking at it, and she said, what are you looking for? I was like, I don't know. She said, is that noise good? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I have, I have no idea. If something doesn't fall out of the engine when I open the door, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much at a loss. So, so why was I looking at the engine? I don't know. I'm pretty much useless when it comes to cars. I, I can help with two things. Is your battery dead? Okay, I can help. Is the tire flat? I understand what to do with the tire flat. Past that, I'm useless. I'm no good at cars. It's not, do not call me if you have a problem with your car. Okay? <laughs> But, but here's the other end of that. I know some of you are good with cars. In fact, I know some of you and I have your phone numbers and I, <laughs> and I can call you. And the better I know somebody who is good with cars, the more I know how much I can trust their advice, right? I have a friend that I know I can call. I know he cares. I know he knows cars. I know he's looking out for my best interest. He's gonna come and help me. The better I know the person I call, the more I can trust them the better off I am. When Jehoshaphat prays, he's clearly praying to someone he knows and to someone he trusts. He demonstrates that he knows of the presence and the faithfulness of God. He, he demonstrates that he knows that he can trust God with what he's bringing to him. He prays to the God of the Israelites. He calls him God of our fathers, the God who gave this land to them the God of Abraham, his friend. Jehoshaphat prays to a sovereign and omnipotent God, God in heaven, ruler over all kingdoms and nations, powerful and mighty, and whom none are able to oppose. He prays from the temple, the sanctuary of God, the dwelling place of God with his people. He says, this is a sanctuary built for your name, God. Jehoshaphat's prayer echoes that of Solomon when Solomon dedicated the temple. It was a reminder of God's promise of protection when crisis comes. Jehoshaphat called that out. He calls out to a just God who protected the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites when Israel came to the land. But now those nations now reward us by invading and they want to take away what God had given to Israel. He calls on God, a just God, for judgment. He prays to the God that he knows from reading and studying the law of God and from the history of God in Israel. Jehoshaphat is able to pray confidently because he knows who it is he is talking to. And he calls on him and he asks for judgment and for direction. Verses 12 to 13 say, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. They stood there looking to God. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So much of when we prepare for crisis is our way of making sure that we are, we are able to take care of whatever happens. And so that we have everything we're going to need. We put aside money. We put aside food or supplies. We, we make sure we've arranged taking care of transportation. Sometimes we take out insurance to make sure that, you know, what, whatever crisis may come, we've got it covered. 
We try to do anything we think we'll need so that in the end, we don't have to depend on anybody else so that we can be independent. And I'm not speaking against preparation. I think it's wise to prepare for the unexpected. It's wise to put things aside, but it can lead to this illusion. As we see here, ultimately, we prepare not to stand alone, but our preparation is to depend on God. Right here we see complete humility. It's the recognition that everything I thought I could control, all the things I thought I could put into place, all the talents I have, all the strength I have, it is all an illusion because in the end, God is sovereign and I am not and I can do nothing outside of his plan. All of our plans are dependent on God's will. Only God is sovereign. All of our hope is only in him. That's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? The gospel says that even though we've tried to do things our own way, even though we've gone our own way, we've made our own decisions, we've rebelled against God, we've messed ourselves up. Humility says that only in God can we find salvation. It says that while we were doing the things that God hates, he sent Jesus Christ for us. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So the gospel says we are helpless we can do nothing to restore our relationship with God. We are helpless and lost in our sin. But God is sovereign. He is in control. He is gracious. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins, and he calls us to turn away from them and to trust in him. Only God can save. Are we ready to admit that we're helpless, that we're utterly dependent on God? Because that's, that's where God wants us. That is what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He says, our eyes are on you. We have no idea what to do. Our eyes are on you. God wants us desperate for him to know him, to rely on him, to call on him first, and to follow him completely. And as Jehoshaphat did, we have to know God to be able to trust him like that. Jehoshaphat spent years devoting himself to worshiping God, to knowing God's word, to teaching the people of Judah God's word. This is one of the reasons that theology is so important. That it's one of the reasons we study God's word, that we can spend time meditating on it and talking to him because we want to know God's character. We want to know who he is. We want to know how he has worked with his people. We want to understand his love and his will and his desires and how we can fit into those. And the better we know those things, the better we know how we can call on him in any situation, the better we know we can trust him and to follow him completely and devotedly. We learn to trust, we learn to follow, we learn how to obey. So in 2024, I want to call you to make it a daily practice to study God so that you can understand him more, so that you can know his ways, so that you can trust his leading, and so that you can follow him completely through the unexpected crisis. Here in chapter 20, we see how the Lord responds, verses 14 through 17. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, 
You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. God's answer is very clear here, isn't it? Twice he tells them, do not be afraid. Twice he tells them, you're going to go out tomorrow against this great horde. He tells them exactly where to find them. Here's here's where they're going to be. Twice he says, you will not have to fight. God will fight this battle. He says, stand firm and watch God at work. The Lord will be with you. That was the promise of the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. That was the promise of God to his people. He is faithful. The Lord will be with you. The answer is clear. That's the plan. They are to go out. They are to trust God. They are to go confront this army. And God will fight the battle for them. So how does Jehoshaphat respond? What will he do? What will his people do? Let's look at verses 18 through 30. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, or the Kohathites and the Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. So as as you look to this passage, you think, Oh, the rest of the story, it should, it should be about this battle. That's what you sort of expect. Like, now we're going to see this giant battle, this giant horde's coming. Jehoshaphat's taking his army, and there's going to be a big fight. And we're going to hear all about the battle, except that's not what we hear here, is it? Instead, we hear about trust and obedience. And more than anything, we hear about worship. When they received God's answer, their immediate response was not debate, 
It wasn't discussion. It wasn't a vote. It wasn't fear. It wasn't arguing. Their immediate response was worship. Immediately, Jehoshaphat fell to his face in worship, and all of Judah followed him. They began praising God because they knew God. They knew he was trustworthy and faithful to do as he said. They knew that he would save them. The next morning, they continued to worship and to trust and obey. They did just what God had said. They rose up and they went out to meet the coming army. And they demonstrated their faith in this. They didn't send out the soldiers first. They just didn't send out the scouts. They didn't hedge their bets, right? Who did they send out first? They sent out the singers first. Like, let's put the singers in the front of the army, right? They sent out the singers first, and they were going forward, and they were praising God. They were leading Israel, to Judah, to worship, and they were saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. They are obeying, and they are showing their faith and their worship. They were demonstrating trust. The soldiers would not be needed to fight. God had said he would fight the battle. Before they even got there, when they began singing, God went to work. It says the Lord set an ambush. He, got, he caused the three invading armies to fight each other until there were none left alive. And so by the time Israel gets there, the battle's already done. He had saved them. He had done it already, just as he had promised. So they continued to praise and worship as they were there, continued even as they returned to Jerusalem, praising God for his deliverance. See, even before God had completed his deliverance, Judah was already worshiping him. Even before he could complete, had completed his deliverance, Judah was already obeying him. Faith, obedience, and worship. They're tied together here. Faith, obedience, and worship. They're tied together for us. Because we have faith in God to keep his word, we can worship him for what is still to come. Because we have faith in God to keep his word, we can obey God and we can trust him and follow him. For God is faithful and his steadfast love endures forever. Jehoshaphat's most important preparation for the unexpected was not the fortified cities, although they were important. It wasn't his well-trained army, although undoubtedly that was important. It wasn't his stored-up supplies and wealth. It wasn't his political contacts and his administrative skills. Those were all good things that he put in place. But the most important preparation that Jehoshaphat put in place was his faithful devotion and worship of God. He knew God through his word. He knew that he could trust him. He had practiced walking with God and turning his daily struggles of being a king over to God so that it was an immediate response in times of trouble. He trusted God, following him completely, worshiping him for what he knew God would do, and he led the people of Judah to do the same. During this Lottie Moon season, we've been watching these videos uh, about these missionary families who've been going uh, to, to often faraway places, places all around the world uh, to serve God. And God has called them to, to the unknown often. They don't know exactly what they're going to be doing. They don't know what struggles they're going to face. What leads them to be willing to go to these faraway places to share the gospel, to invest their lives? Each of those missionaries faced a crisis of faith when God called them. But they had practiced turning their struggles over to God. They knew God from his word, 
And they knew that they could trust him in whatever he called them to do. They knew God's heart for the lost. They knew that God wants people to be saved, and they shared that heart for the lost. Each of them was prepared by years of faithful worship to trust God and obey wherever God has called them. So let me ask you, as you face the unexpected in 2024, as you face whatever struggles are going to be coming for you, are you prepared Have you practiced turning to God with your struggles? This year, I encourage you, as I said earlier, to build a practice of daily prayer, giving each struggle over to God and learning to trust him first. Practice turning your life over to God. The most important decisions that you'll ever make are made in a moment, but practiced for years. Have you devoted yourself to his word, meditating on his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his holiness, his goodness, his grace, Do you know him so well that you know you can trust him with whatever comes your way? Have you realized your own helplessness, your own hopelessness, that you were utterly dependent on God? Have you prepared yourself to follow him in faith, ready to trust, obey, and worship him for his goodness? Finally, I want to close with this. Church, We need you to be prepared. This is not just about each one of us. This is about all of us together. As Jehoshaphat faced this crisis, he did not face it alone. He called all of Judah to respond in prayer. He had prepared them for this moment. They were in this whole thing together. They prayed together. They sought the face of the Lord together. They received his answer together. Together they worshiped. Together, they obeyed. We are not in this alone. God has called us to a mission. He has called us to be his church. He has called us to minister together, to face the challenges of this world together. And we need to together to together know God and practice trusting God. We need you and you and you and you. We need to be together in this. Too many churches have fallen into disunity, because of church leaders or church members who aren't prepared to trust God, to listen to God, to turn to God, to obey God. So we need to be a church that together seeks after God, that trusts God, that follows God, that is ready for the struggle together. Make 2024 a year of preparation because who knows what God has for us. Should you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you and and we confess that again. We don't know what 2024 will bring. And we are so prone to relying on our own strengths, our own talents, and our own plans. We're so, so prone to trying to go it on our own. So, God, we ask again that you would help us to trust in you. That you would remind us of our helplessness and our hopelessness outside of you, God. And she would help us to see you in your word and know that we can trust you with everything we have. So God, as we go into this year, may you lead us to trust you more. May you lead us to seek you in your word. May you lead us to practice turning our lives over to you. God, we know of your goodness and your grace and your love. We trust ourselves to you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.